everybody, welcome to episode 231 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I am one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. Why are you laughing already? I'm another host, Paul Robbins, because you were like, Go Gorilla. Go Gorilla. Go Gorilla. <laughs> That's funny. Um, today is a very, um, I'm, a, it's, I'm, I'm excited today because we have, we have, a, we have a guest, <laughs> as promised, um, and um, we're excited to talk yes. to him. Introduce yourself. Hi guys, I'm uh, Nick Four. I'm a script consultant based in London, um, and yeah, very happy to be on the Go Gorilla, as you say, Sasha. Go, <laughs> Go Gorilla. Gorilla. Go Gorilla um, podcast. So you are our our first script consultant Ooh, uh, on the show, and mm-hmm. I have to be honest with you that I oh boy, I didn't really think of this as something that was um, available to like a writer like myself like I think of of a a script consultant I'm like oh okay because it's like a 50 million dollar film and they're gonna have a script consultant and they have to have and you know and well I I mean he does have a nice chair so who knows what kind of budget (laughs) but I I mean I I started going through your site and you know just seeing the 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 cost and I was like oh no this is like this is a feasible thing that uh you know anybody who's really just trying to um push their work forward to have a second set of eyes uh be able to 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 go through that that this is this is a possibility for them and this is this is exciting yeah it's very true i work mostly with um beginner writers there are some writers that i work with who have representation from agents some of them who are just writing the first scripts some of them that have maybe half a dozen to a dozen scripts behind them so it 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 varies i haven't done work with um, directly with production companies on like you know super large budget stuff um, yet anyway um, yet. but uh, yeah this chair was second hand so <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> dang it um, busted but yeah I um, I really enjoy working with with uh, kind of first time writers particularly who are like discovering the craft and finding their voice and stuff mm-hmm. and I always try to encourage writers along the path of uh, telling the story that it is that they want to tell but applying principles of screenwriting in a way that's going to elevate uh, their story because this is what I find a lot from writers that I work with they they submit their work to competitions or they speak to other people that have the same kind of job as, as me and mm-hmm. they get um dissuaded quite a lot because there's very kind of firm um kind of parameters that particularly people that work within the realm of Hollywood set on on writers mm-hmm. and say that you need to have this turning point by this page or the script's tone shifts too much and stuff like that. And I understand why um why people might say that because there's definitely a very conventional way in which modern scripts are written for the Hollywood market. I like working with writers who want to um, produce their work for uh, independent platforms, mm-hmm. stuff that's a bit more low concept, focused on character and complexity, more so than it is kind of fitting within the kind of save the cat three act structure that we've seen over and over again in in Hollywood. Right. So, yeah, there's um, that's kind of where I'm I'm based. Yeah. Yeah. There's no um. There's n- there's no glory in just following the the um the system as it were right you know there's no Mm. no genius was ever like this guy's a genius he does exactly what everybody else does you know it's like Mm. or or girl sorry um but it's like (sighs) i know but it's it's (laughs) it's interesting because um 
I appreciate that you have that point of view because it's so easy for um, people, I would think, to be like, well, you have a good idea. Let me show you how to make it marketable. So that way you can, you can, you can, versus you have such a great idea. Let me help you see that idea to its fruition in, in, in the context of what it is you're trying to say versus trying to shoehorn what they're trying to say into the 3x structure and 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 everything and and uh so that's i really appreciate that and 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 your ability to do both you know Mm. oh yeah yeah that's the thing i think it's easier to do the uh, to do the former and you know to talk about save the cat and three act structure and stuff because so much so many of the the resources that are available are geared towards that kind of paradigm Mm -hmm. so when people first start writing if they choose to engage with like resources on screenwriting to begin with then they're very much like funneled down that path and people think that the only way to get their film made or to sell their script is through Hollywood and some people aspire to that and that's the kind of films that they want to write and that's fine but there's also a lot of people I think that get a little bit disillusioned by that path and feel as if that um they want to create something that's you know outside of of that realm a little bit whilst still creating an entertaining story that's the the fundamentally like most important thing about what we're doing um but it's just who who that story is is uh designed for or or if it is marketable or if you want to choose to opt more for something that has greater marketability or to kind of stick to something that is maybe a little bit more fluid in its structure and tells more of like an emotional truth or something that reflects like your own personal experience and focuses more on the complexity and the inner conflict rather than this, you know, yeah, the three act structure kind of thing that we've seen. Yeah. I think also, I mean, so we've often said that, uh, we would gladly uh, direct or act and write in the next Sharknado if that pays <laughs> us enough, right? Yeah, like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, a meal is a meal. One for the meal, one for the one real. One for the meal and one for the real. Yeah. And I think that it's one true. of the biggest yeah. one of the biggest th- things that you see that happens and, and with certain filmmakers that we've spoken to as well that are sort of on that, that upper echelon of the lower budget mm. is that it becomes a race to constantly... Uh, keep up with living expenses, right? So very few people actually do that movie and then take that movie and make their own movie and still work an unrelated full-time job. They usually go like, well, I just made $70,000. So um, they're telling me- I better make $100,000 for my next yeah, one. They're telling yeah. me if I do the mm-hmm. next one that mm-hmm. I can get $100,000. And then you get stuck in that cycle. And then you never actually make your movie. You become a director or cinematographer, writer, actor for B films, you know, and, and that's, mm-hmm. and then and you're just constantly trying to keep up with your peers that are making far more than you. And I think the same thing happens with writing. It is- aggravating when people go you should submit your screenplay but listen i'm sure there's so there, i think you should submit there, your <laughs> there are one in a million uh, uh circumstances for instance where like some no-name writer happens to get their work right it is one in a million most scripts that are produced are are uh, and and also just because your script is written doesn't mean it's going to be made. They buy it, they hoard it, it sits on a shelf for God knows how long, and maybe it gets True. made, maybe it doesn't. And how much of that they're going to change? You've they've paid mm. you your money, and depending on your contract, you have no say on what they do. Um, mm. And so I think it's important to understand that you know there's there's nothing wrong with shooting for 
those higher budgets, uh, but it's unlikely. And then that becomes uh, really soul crushing as an artist because it's like, well, nobody bought my script. It's like, well, nobody buys those scripts. Those scripts yeah. are written by screenwriters that all have are well established in the business. Mm -hmm. um, it's not. It's I I say it's almost impossible. Nothing's impossible, but it's almost impossible to just suddenly break into that. I always yeah. use Paranormal Activity as an example where everybody went right. like, oh, this 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 filmmaker that nobody had ever heard of. I'm like, hold on. They knew somebody who knew Steven Spielberg. That's why that movie got made. Okay. Exactly. I don't know Steven Spielberg and I don't know anybody that knows Steven Spielberg. We stayed at an Airbnb once yeah, that's of right. the cousin of Martin Scorsese, I think. Okay. That well, was as close okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we Scorsese's got distance yeah, and to ever meeting somebody that was like, oh, yeah, I was at Scorsese's wedding. He's my cousin or something. We were like, what? And, you know, at no point were we like, here, can you hand him this script? Because yeah. that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, so. Just what, just what Marty wants is just to be what like, Marty wants. be at a wedding and his cousin be like, hey, this person stayed in my Airbnb. Here's their script. <laughs> she's oh got a script God. for you. Um, Probably one of about a million. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like, I just wanted to, um, you know, I, I try to stress to people like, you know, there's, there's a there like do you want to be a filmmaker or do you want to be in films because those are two t mm. two totally different things. Yeah. When I, I talk agree. to I agree. you know other to people that are breaking into filmmaking or acting especially actors when they say, you know, oh, you know, how did you guys like we've made our own films. That's we we realized that you know, we can live on the edge and hope to be part of that 1% of people that get discovered just randomly. Mm. But those mm. people don't sit in the back of the rooms at film festivals that we're at. Everyone at a film festival is people in the same position as us. Uh, and nobody's waiting to just throw money at you. So we just said, look, you know, um, is it possible that something we make could catch the right person's attention? Sure, it's online. Anything is possible. But it was more important that we get to create. And so that's what we do. And, and I think that what you're doing is really, it's really important to somebody who wants to write for the love of writing and improve as a writer. And it happens on all stages. My God, I've been writing for 15 years. I just started a script that we're hoping to shoot next year. And I wrote the first oh, three great. pages or something. Yeah. And just something wasn't sitting right. I was just like, this mm. is not the way that I was meant to start this story. And it was bugging me. And I just deleted the whole thing and started over and went, oh, okay, yeah, this makes more sense. <laughs> you know? mm. And sometimes you just need... Um, if you don't have uh, if you don't have enough experience to know that when you're writing that it's not fitting, it's so important to have a second pair of eyes to say like, this is not this this doesn't 100%. gel, you know? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think a lot of um, the kind of the destination with the writers that I'm currently working with or are gearing towards is uh, the the ones that aren't represented to find representation, and a lot of that comes from um writing good samples and even most you know established professional screenwriters they make the majority of their money from right for hire work from productions and things that are already established mm -hmm. more so than um writing their own scripts and then and uh, unless they're a writer director then it's right. a kind of slightly different avenue and stuff but unless you are a really top of the tier screenwriter like um a lot of work comes from right for high work. So 
to develop the skills as a writer in the sample scripts and you know which is what I'm I'm doing and helping with writers along that process and to think about the writing in a in a different way to encourage them with their voice uh, and to develop a few solid samples and then that's the thing that makes a screenwriter marketable um, in terms of selling themselves and and their voice and stuff and it could be that I do think that when a lot of screenwriters start, they have the hope that their film will will get made. But as you said, Sasha, it's a kind of it's it's a one in a million shot. Really, it's very very difficult for for a spec script to get picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows in the future it could do, and that's why it's always important for writers as well to always uh, keep a log of their old scripts and kind of right. rework them periodically as time goes on because as well with the way in which the the market works and and how it is a business is that when there's certain issues that come to the surface in society then suddenly a story that is related to that becomes more marketable mm-hmm. uh, and something that maybe didn't have um, any interest attracted to it 10 years ago becomes something that is suddenly a more attractive prospect for producers so it's the samples but also never kind of losing hope but also being realistic i think and it's finding a balance between those three things with like writers of spec scripts yeah, yeah. we yeah. had actually learned through one of our guests i think it was shane stanley i think that we were talking to about this about um you know being very uh, cautious with script writing competitions and and submitting and protecting your work um, of course, we knew that it happened, but hearing firsthand that, you know, he had had a story that a script that had been taken and they didn't even change the character names. And then they're making the movie and he's like, yeah, that's my wow. that's, that's my story. Um, wow. And uh, also learning the 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 legality of uh, not jumping to sue until after it's made because they'll just scrap that whole movie once they realize there's controversy and he's like well that was the lesson i learned was that i jumped too soon and i should have waited until that movie came out and then offered the the proof isn't it Hmm? yeah yeah that is the instinct right as soon as you get that's my work yeah that's my work and that as painful as it is you have to sit and wait, wait till that makes it out there because now it's out there. They will much rather scrap scrap whatever $2 million they spent on that than pay legal fees mm-hmm. uh, and they'll just act like it didn't happen. So um, that does, I think that, you know, there's always the fear of that, I guess, but, you know, it's just something to be cautious of. Um, I wanted to kind of, I'm excited because we've we don't as a writer know, we ne- gonna, we've never had a writer on here. This is I'm exciting. I'm gonna let you just go crazy. <laughs> this is exciting for me because, uh, you know, no one cares about the writer. No one ever cares about mm. the writer. It's sort of similar to DPs. We've had some. I mean, one of my favorite DPs, like actual favorite DPs, agreed to do the show because no one ever cares to talk to the DP, right? They want to talk the to director. the director yeah. and they want to talk to the actors. <laughs> I don't really care about anybody else. Um, I think the average moviegoer doesn't think about where the script comes from. They sort of take the Scorsese, Tarantino mentality of the writer-director and go like, oh, they just had everything to do with this. Um, Mm. And that's so not the case. And as you had mentioned, a lot of the times... As a director, I'm okay with this. (laughs) A lot of the times, it's not even really a story that you've conjured up through your imagination. It's this is the concept and we need you to jump off of this. And here are the guidelines you have to stay in. It can be very constrictive, you know, on on um, on an artistic standpoint, depending on the job that you're getting. Mm. Um, One of my biggest... 
pet peeves. And I say this as a writer that I'm sure, uh, you know, I know my work can be torn apart by, by people that are much better than me, but um, something that drives me nuts is dialogue. I'm often able to forgive a lot of things, but when people do not speak in a film the way they speak in real life, it just mm. it takes me out completely. And and you, you see this a lot in independent film. It's yeah. like this very like newer writers they want to kind of show off big words and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but also yeah, it's yeah, it's it's too. like there's no emotion behind. Mm. There's no and it, uh, it also comes down to the performance as well where a line is delivered without a pause or uh which we do in real life oh god i don't know you know and it's just mm. like oh my mm. god i don't know and you know nobody speaks mm. that way i've seen that in scripts written in scripts and i just think like oh god that drives me nuts is it mm. just me it's <laughs> my question no, yeah it's it's definitely the case that it can be it can really it's the one thing that throws you out of a film more so than anything else, like bad dialogue. And it's one thing that everyone notices, whether you kind of know about the craft of screenwriting or filmmaking or, or you don't. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from the fact that this can come from time in terms of the production. You don't know kind of what's happened whilst the film was being shot, whilst the script was being written. But one of the easiest ways to fix a problem in a script is the come back to the dialogue is a much more attractive prospect to for a writer who's maybe gone through like 12 drafts and they're getting a note from a new producer and you know whatever it is to say we don't get a sense of this character uh, we don't get enough of an idea of who they are or what their problem is or what their backstory is or something like that and the easiest fix is just to go and put it in through a line of dialogue and I think those kind of things really stick out a lot um for 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 the audience when they're watching it in terms of how the actual line is delivered i think that definitely comes a lot more on the shoulders of the actor oh and also the director because of course they're directing the performance but very very little times in in scripts you see false starts deliberately written into the into the script unless it's serving the story in some way and this is a principle that's kind of shared with writers a lot mm. in some scripts you do see it a lot like if you read Aaron Sorkin's script or um I, I, I hate to say it but Woody Allen's scripts are actually a really good example for this because he does it a lot but you know I don't really kind of engage anymore yeah but, art, um, art and artists we have uh, to with with that one <laughs> yeah we're yeah, just talking exactly. about the work not the person <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly so in, in those kind of scripts there are uh very deliberate pauses mm. um that are that are written in there and the, the actor is kind of pushed a bit more into that direction of speaking in a way that is more realistic and more true to life um but then new writers are encouraged not to do that but then the the rules or for new writers and the rules for established screenwriters are two completely different things as well yeah yeah i i always wondered so when i first started making films i was a horrible writer still am um <laughs> and you know then she came along and said yeah let's fix this but i i, I often wonder like what makes a good writer and for me, it just in my experience, having that life experience and having her as someone that grew up in the city was around a lot more people, different types of people, 
um, where I, I grew up a little more sheltered in a small town, right? So I didn't have a lot of experience with different people and different voices and how that sort of thing. And I always wonder how life experience can age you as a writer and then what to how to how to hone your voice if you don't have a lot of life experience to know what someone that is a drug addict would sound like, for example, or whatever, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it definitely helps to have a, a whole uh, yeah, rounded view on life and all, all of its different nuances to be able to draw from that sense of emotional truth. And that's why typically as well, there are um, a lot of great writers who are, who are had traumatic pasts and stuff because there's true and genuine emotion and life experience that they're drawing from to be able to to put that on the page and even if you've not experienced that yourself being exposed to as many different people as possible can only help you to understand that experience to an extent if you're looking at kind of the more small town experience i still think there is value in that because there is uh you're looking at a very very specific world and a very specific type of um person mm -hmm. i mean maybe you might find that you're confined to that arena if you really haven't expanded much outside of that but um there's a lot of successful films that have kind of told very specific stories based in like small town america fargo being a perfect example yeah. of course the cohen brothers did like huge huge amounts outside of that as well but in some ways their stories are very specific to a certain time and kind of confined into a small arena of experience based around the characters i think the advice that's useful for writers to take that maybe are struggling with um that latter part of what I just discussed is to see in some way if they can speak to someone whose experience they're trying to share. Um, so if they do know someone that's had an issue with drug abuse in the past or they're a recovering alcoholic or uh, someone who um, has had an issue with uh, their identity or um, queerness or anything that it might be within that realm to speak to that character and actually get uh, sorry speak to that person in order to inform the character and and get a greater sense of that emotional truth from something that is genuine and grounded in real life because otherwise the inspiration for those characters come from other films and other books and things mm -hmm. that you've read and that's how archetypes and cliches are formed and it's also a disservice and uh, can be offensive in some ways as well and it's a bit of a dangerous path to take so mm. yeah, yeah because you do it one knowledge. the more times you do it the more it's like telephone right the more it becomes mm. more and more um like to your point like a cliche or like a the caricature of that mm. you know exactly yeah, yeah. and think... also it's easy to tell us to tell a certain type of narrative for that character whether it be the drug addict or the alcoholic or the queer person whatever it might be there's there's been a very typical line for that narrative over the last 40, 50 years of filmmaking. Yeah. And I also find that, you know, any a lot of stronger attributes that may be, you know, someone that is um, usually like ethnic in some way or different ethnicity than whatever, you know, whatever, a minority or whatever, that becomes part of the character and that becomes part of, of what it is. And in some cases that obviously is the case, but I think in a lot of cases having a Hispanic character on on screen, for example, you know, they don't have maracas, you know, they're not running around with that sort of thing. And I think yeah. that whatever attribute that that person has becomes a character trait and becomes a, 
then becomes a definition of that character and i and i feel like you know sometimes a lot in films yeah sometimes drives me crazy because i I, as a hispanic i'm like you know there's 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 varying degrees of experience in the community there's people Mm -hmm. that are raised that have were born in that country and have that experience and have that Mm -hmm. culture and then there's those of us that were raised in the city you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. uh are not my my Spanish is passable but not great you know and there's there's mm. so many I feel like there's so many stereotypes that get pushed especially in sitcom where it's like well yeah. we have to make sure that somebody in the family has an accent because there's no way this family could be Hispanic unless somebody in there has an accent yeah. and it's like better well, be a fiery yeah. Latina yeah, there or has else. To, she better yeah. be fiery and busty and you know yeah. and like otherwise how would we know yeah. you know and it's yeah. like of course. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, I think I, there's something to be said for like a, a movie like Winter's Bone that mm-hmm. is written, you know, you ha- you'd you have to have that exp- that sort of like Appalachian experience to know how to write, how okay. that family and how these, the, the people in this community would function. I mm. mean, li- you know, living where, from the city and going up more into a more rural area now, you know, I've worked with people that have lived in towns up here that uh i mean are 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 on the internet because of the you know the the uh rumor and urban legend of you know and getting that perspective it was interesting there's a town up here called onion town and uh there's like you know youtube videos of people going through you like the cops won't even go to onion town it's this whole thing and so the teens up here and people from the city would come up because they'd hear about this. I worked with a woman who was raised right by it and who had a friend who lived there. And she's like, yeah, there's cable. There's electricity. You know, there was a time when there wasn't, but not nearly uh, as close to the time as portrayed by the urban legend, you know? And she's like the girl that I went to school with, you would have not known that she came from onion town unless you mm. had been there when the bus picked her up from that area. You know what I mean? It was, mm. So it was like understanding like, oh, there is a whole subcategory to this. It's not just the extreme of exactly. that urban legend. There there are varying degrees of, of that personality. Mm. So I think like there's a reason why uh, a, a, a female screenwriter in her 20s isn't going to write about women in their 40s. Because you haven't experienced mm. that yet. And then when a woman mm. in her 40s tries to write about her 20s, so much has changed that True. it seems dated and antiquated now. Like, oh, well, nobody does that anymore. They go on dating sites. Nobody would do this and this mm. and that, you know. Yeah. And it's like, mm. well, that's what happened when I was in my 20s. That was 20 years mm. ago. So this is irrelevant mm. now. There's a reason why you kind of have the the you, you have you have a person that is experiencing that actual event. They are the, the best person to portray that. Because that's mm. what they that's what they 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 have life experience in, and uh, you can't really talk about what life is like for a woman with menopause unless you've been through it. You know, I mean, sure. or or have you know have somebody close yeah, to you. Yeah, they're cranky. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> cranky woman, I can write that. Cranky woman. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I just I, I just think that like to to what you had said, I think there's yeah, I think that I don't think that you don't that you can't write about an experience that is not true to you, but it's just, just it takes more research, I guess, yeah. of getting more mm. opinions in that. I, I think as well, it depends a lot on like who the protagonist is, you know, having, having secondary characters that are in the arena of your main character, it becomes, 
easier to write for those characters as long as you're more well informed but to really focus the audience's attention on the whole emotional experience of one central character who's cultural uh or like um you know i whose yeah cultural experience you can't align with basically Mm -hmm. then is a very rocky area i think Mm -hmm. it's also difficult with comedy characters who kind of by nature of their design are a bit more extreme and it's or obsessive in some way typically so that's why it can it's easier to write the extreme version of a certain character or to fit a stereotype because to a lot of people that don't that aren't from that background that is relatable mm-hmm. because that you know that that stereotype has become reinforced for not for a reason but the reason why they understand that stereotype is because it has been reinforced mm-hmm. so um they say oh yeah i understand i understand that character because this is what hispanic people are like and right yeah it's a bit like mm, it's kind of a lot more nuanced than that yeah, yeah. Yeah, like some people, some people have attributes that normally would be kind of exposed um, as a character attribute in a script. May you may never know that that mm. exists in that person, and so you know, um, going back to the Hispanic thing, like just casting a Hispanic person in a quote unquote regular role where the his, their Hispanic heritage isn't part of their character attribute right and so it's mm. they're just a, a person and I, that goes more to casting i suppose but it's mm. you know it's it's um because so many people have so many experiences right there's people that are white that may have grew up in a hispanic community so they know and may yeah. that may even wash onto them a little bit and and you know mm. and inform them as a person and so yeah. i feel like there's there's so much new like to your point there's so much nuance in in people that that we are always kind of, um, I don't want to say take for granted, that's the wrong kind of phrase, but that, that we never really experience because it's, it's, it just is what it is, right? And so, there, mm. you know, in a script, it's like every little thing has to have some huge amount of reasoning and detail for it. And But I think sometimes it's, I use, always use this as an example um, where we were watching a show and one of the characters had a birth defect on, on their arm. But it was never addressed. It was never talked about. It was never anything. And so, right. you know, that to me was kind of so because immediately I'm you like, don't have that in American television. Yeah. So, so immediately, immediately I'm watching this like, oh, like, this, this is gonna this is gonna <laughs> inform the plot in some way. Yes. You know, right. but it never did. Right. And and it was just that person. And and that's what happens in mm. real real life, right? If you go to a friend's house sure. and they have a brother, maybe something happened to them, and. You know, you, you don't sit there and make the whole conversation about that. They're just the person that yeah. wants to talk about whatever, True. you know, yeah. crypto yeah. dying or whatever. Yeah, we, one of my favorite, favorite shows was Wentworth. Um, and what I loved about that show was that, you know, I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's a show about a women's prison and that all the women just looked like women. That their skin didn't have to be perfect and their hair got to be a mess because you're in prison. And then you look mm. at the American version of like Orange is the New Black, where everybody, although you know it was the it was the um, what I what I'd call like the set messy, 
where mm. it's like, oh, mm. they're messy, but yeah. it's stylized, right? There's yeah, a stylized mess yeah. to her hair. There's a stylized yeah. uh, mm. a defect to her skin. In fact, we're going to give her rosacea. We're not going to hire mm. somebody with it, but we'll make sure mm. that we do this in hair and makeup. Whereas, like, you know, it just seems more genuine. In and we notice this a lot in uh, in European television that. As, as Paul had said, you know, we were just kind of watching it with the American mindset of like, well, why didn't they explain why this person's missing half of their arm? Because mm. they just are. And mm. uh, I, I wish we had more of that, you know, because, it, yeah. it, you know, I go to the supermarket and I encounter somebody who has, you know, who's missing an eye and that they're just missing mm. an eye. I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think you to walk up to them and be like, yeah. why? What's the story? What's the story? Yeah. It's just like, well, yeah. obviously something happened, you know, and they lost their eye. It could have been cancer. It could yeah. have been an accident. Who knows? Um, but I, you know, I, I feel like I, I wish I saw that more in, in, um, in casting and, and, and things like mm. that. I, I don't want to say in writing because then it's, it's pointed out, but just that, yeah, that we were able to cast somebody more. who played mm. the part. Yeah. Uh, properly I, I think it's a, a kind of probably a manifestation of uh probably two things one i think maybe just generally as a society we are kind of quite ableist and mm -hmm. anyone that doesn't fit the you know what an able body looks like uh are treated differently or they are perceived differently by the society that we live in um, so I think maybe that has something to do with it in terms of the fact that there is a character who has a birth defect or whatever it might be that raises attention because it sticks out and the way that our society responds to something that sticks out is that it draws attention rather than it just drawing acceptance. But I also think it's probably to do with the fact that um, we are so conditioned to receiving stories through a chain of cause and effect and through setup and payoff and that's also like you know how we understand the world as well like if you were to drop a ball on the floor the cause you know would be you letting go of the ball and the effect is it to the effect is it dropping on the floor that when a narrative moves forward progressively it doesn't make sense to us if it doesn't follow this pattern of cause and effect or mm. this pattern in screenwriting as we call it as setup and payoff so because stories are written so much like that, and then we notice a certain detail about a character like the birth defect, we think, oh, set up straight away rather than right. it just simply existing. Um, but yeah, I think that it's probably, it's getting a lot uh, more inclusive in that sense. And as a society, both inside and outside of the filmmaking world, we're like going to a more positive direction, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we still have a long way to go, but I always think like, um, I don't remember who said it, but it was like, you know, if they were to, you take Friends, that show Friends, you know, mm -hmm. if that show was made today, that cast would be much more diverse. True. You know, and so um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful because that is this, that is the case, but I still feel like we have so far to go mm -hmm. for real inclusivity, whereas. You know, you're not hiring people because of what they look like or who they are, but you're also not not hiring them because of what they look like or who they are. You know, it's just a true kind of, you know, uh, casting, you know, whereas it's, you have a character written on on this on the page and unless it's specific in some way, they could be, you know, Hispanic or African-American or 
you know, Asian or disabled or whatever, you know, and um, as long as there's no, as long as there's not something that is on the character level that may kind of um, conflict conflict with that, with that narrative and mm-hmm. even and, and and maybe you know and and it goes back to everybody's been through everything right you know you have a hispanic person who grew up in the city and then you have a hispanic person that grew up in mexico that's two different totally different life experiences mm-hmm. um and you know that so you know having having a, a broader experience fits into that story of what you're trying to say you know um and so I think, you know, once we can kind of figure out how to kind of um, uh, rework Hollywood yeah. completely. Yeah, it's going to start on this show. We're going <laughs> that's, to. That's, that's it. Exactly. That's yeah. all. Yeah. But it's sad because yeah. but, then, needed. but then there's that aspect where, like we had talked about a little bit before, it's like this is a, so you have a script that you've written and you love, but it maybe it's not um, it's not a three act structure or if it doesn't it's not perfectly fit to what quote unquote Hollywood wants mm. and it's mm. like well I want to make this someday but then maybe you play the game a little bit to get to a point where you can then get that made and I think there is some value there but I, it's a very slippery slope like you How were saying before yeah and a lot of people kind of fall into it um, yeah. I did want to because you, you mentioned comedy before and I wanted your uh, your opinion on is there uh, do you feel that there is a genre that is generally harder to be successful at as a writer personally comedy scares the crap out of me and mm. i um ironically we've had the most success with our comedic films i don't well, that's know that's not how... true you won a screenwriting award Stop. for a drama so. oh, <laughs> that god we have to put that away <laughs> so, um but it, well, we're talking to a screen. I want to, you know, I want to brag for you. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, it, you know, it, it's happenstance that like it's never something that I've scripted. That's the thing. Like whenever we've had uh, successful comedic uh, productions, if you will, it's always those like run and gun things. Like let's just mm-hmm. ad lib this. Let's just do something and film it, and then somehow that. And and I think I feel like there 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 must be something to the fact that there isn't the pressure to formulate comedy right because then you start overthinking what looks funny what sounds funny Mm. would it be funny if it says it the person says it this way versus you know we're just generally kind of silly asses and so if you just throw us in front of a camera we're going to just do what we do and then that seemed to be what stuck but i feel like Mm. if i genuinely sat down and tried to write a comedy i would Mm. probably be institutionalized because it's just like how you know i appreciate I I appreciate scripts that are genuinely funny because I feel like that is so hard. Also, humor is subjective, right? What one person finds funny isn't what another person finds funny. But I think of, you know, a script like Bridesmaids, you know, that at face value, it's like, oh, it's going to be just some chick flick about a wedding. But I mean, it's brilliantly written. And Mm. also the the cast, you know, I mean, you got it. That cast is what made that. Of course, I understand that. But the writing was really really good and I, I i've read the screenplay for it and it's just like okay like how do you do that <laughs> you know? yeah I, I i agree it's a very very difficult thing to do and i think like a lot of people when they first start to try writing comedies they again like focus on the dialogue and it's what sounds funny with the characters to mm-hmm. say and it 
it can come across as quite uh, quite cheap in a lot of ways and kind of like a dated sitcom, kind of like Friends, as we were talking about before. Mm. You know, in that situation, there are specific jokes that are written for certain characters, of course. But a lot of the time, it's like un- changing the perspective of where comedy, comedy comes from, which like, ultimately is from the characters. Uh, and as long as you have an organic sense for who the characters are and how they would react in certain situations, then that's what becomes funny so i don't know maybe that's the experience you guys have when you were ad-libbing in your you know when you were shooting and you kind of had an idea for who the characters were and the situation was in front of you and it was the reaction and what came natural that brought the comedy more so than it was a really well crafted sort of like um joke that was intended to actually make people laugh through the Mm. words rather than it being a disproportionate reaction to uh, a situation which or, or a contradiction in some way which even though it's quite reductive if you look at a lot of comedy those two things are kind of at the core of, of a lot of it of um at the core of a lot of what is actually funny um and yeah bridesmaids does execute that really well and also it helps the fact that the cast was um, brilliant as well yeah. yeah yeah it's that uh, i mean we we always you know the comedies that the straight comedies that are you know just you know joke delivery you know that sort of thing is is not i don't know i don't i find the situational comedies where it's like it's funny because they're playing the scene honestly and the mm-hmm. situation is funny where it's like the fact exactly. that they're doing x y and z is hysterical but you don't want the you don't want the actor to wink and nod at the camera you know you just want exactly. you know to us that we find that kind of comedy and i feel like that is difficult to write because you have to balance uh, a true situation with playing a little bit with absurdity in terms of how mm-hmm. these people got there or whatever and it's like it's kind of like I can imagine it being a tricky situation. Whereas when you're writing a drama set, I say this as someone who doesn't know how to write, by the way. Um, when you're writing like a, a drama, you know, you're writing the truth of that situation, and that's all you're writing. You're not worried about sure. kind of the situation and, and and how it plays and the timing of it because that is a lot of comedy is timing, obviously. And so, mm. um, I don't know. I think there's a there's more of a balancing yeah. act there. I mean, you can rely yeah. like. If, if Maybe, the, I don't the know. topic in a drama is weighted, then you're not worrying about timing, right? Mm. Because it's just a weighted conversation. Mm. And so it's like you that that's your meat and potatoes, if you will, right there is that you're talking yeah. about uh, uh, sexual abuse or murder or something mm. like that. And, mm. and uh, there's so many directions you can go in. But with comedy, it's, uh, I don't know, like, a, you know, I, oftentimes if I'm trying to write something, I'll say to him, Hey, is it funny if somebody said this and this and that? And he's like, yeah, but I don't know that mm. that's funny anymore, mm. right? It's funny in my we think of it situationally funny, like yeah, it would be funny if somebody said that. But depending on who's playing this, are they going to deliver that line in a way that because I I would I would love to see how many of the little nuances and things were actually scripted. I feel like it's probably not a lot. There's we we really like British humor and comedy. We tend not to Me like. Too like hangover and stuff like that well to (laughs) us it's you know like what is more american comedy i mean some things like horrible bosses 2 is one of our favorite comedies not the first one but i love the second one uh but the very like oh this is a comedy it's like all right let me guess it's like channing tatum in it or something i i don't know it just it doesn't (laughs) do it for me you know i like 
sarcasm. I find that mm. funnier and delivery. And there was a scene in um, that show Killing Eve where oh, yeah. one of the characters is uh, at a diner or something like that. And they're they're eating uh, French fries, chips, right? Oh, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure, I don't know. I mean, it, it could have been scripted, but they're hot or worse, they're assuming that they are hot and they deliver their line and then they do that like thing that you do when you eat something hot and it was i mean we had to stop it and rewind because we were laughing so hard because there no no beat was missed right they just did it and whilst delivering the line which was what made it so funny because it made where did this come from right it was like it didn't Mm. belong in Mm. there but it was the most Mm. genius way of doing that and you know I think that's the best part of it is as the audience, I'm watching that thinking, was that chip actually hot or were they pretending that it was? Because that's even better, right? If they're just yeah. playing that. Um, and I don't know that you can script that. I feel like that's just no. sort of like an actor in a moment just being I, I, like, I'm going to do this. I um, agree. I think that was probably something. It sounds like something that would be brought by the actor mm-hmm. because knowing as well how kind of you know props work on film sets and stuff it's very unlikely that those chips came came hot (laughs) to the scene straight away unless it was a very clear intention from the director that they wanted the the actor to burn their mouth on on the chip whether or not that was scripted uh, like if if it was the director's idea whether or not it's scripted probably not but it sounds more like an uh, a well-crafted addition from the actor to just bring something new to the scene, like bring a, a beat of humor where you don't expect it, mm-hmm. um, and just to like add a bit more texture to it. Yeah, that's 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 good that you had to rewind <laughs> that moment. Um, just to come back to what you were talk, talking before about, about I, I totally agree that it is uh, easier to craft drama when you've got the the bread and butter of what you're talking about and the issue is at hand. And I think as Paul was talking about is that let that extra layer that you have to have with comedy um, to deliver that sense of contradiction or deliver the humor is, is what makes it difficult, but also difficult to write, but when it's done well, it can be brilliant. And I always give um, an example to this, uh, to this particular thing that we're talking about here with uh, Shaun of the Dead where the the situation that they're (laughs) in is um, there's a zombie invasion, obviously, like, catastrophic, and very quickly it it spreads. And, you know, like, outwardly, it's it's a totally devastating event. But then when you looked at, actually, his his kind of plan and what's driving the narrative for a lot of the film is basically just to get his mum and his ex-girlfriend and go to the pub. Mm -hmm. Um, which is like such a disproportionate reaction. Yeah. And that's kind of driving the narrative. And then even to bring it to a micro level on on for one particular scene, when uh, they're first discovering that the zombies are around and there's the young girl who they find in, in their garden. Mm-hmm. They, they, they discover from the news. There's a girl in the garden. There's a girl <laughs> in the garden. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's so memorable. Um, and they, they at that point, they learn that the way to, to deal with the zombies is to either hit them on the head or decapitate them. So then it cuts to them going through their old records right. and choosing which ones to throw. Like, 
they're not they're not making jokes specifically about the records and how bad they are but the way in which they're reacting to the situation that they find themselves in is quite absurd it also tells us a lot about their characters in terms of the music that they listen to mm. and like aesthetically it's also like quite a good visual gag as well that they're throwing vinyls at a, at a zombie mm-hmm. who's like slowly so that's like perfect comedy in my yeah. in, in yeah because, in and, and, and the whole they're playing that straight right you know like mm, especially exactly. simon Pegg, he's he's upset he's sad like he's really yeah. in those emotional states and that's kind of simon <laughs> yeah i love simon <laughs> Pegg. but like yeah, but his, so. his 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 uh interpretation of that character you know, like I haven't read the script, so I, I can't say what was scripted and what was that what he brought mm. to it. But the interpretation of the character is what you know. If he would have played it in this, you know, this over the top way, it wouldn't have worked. You know, the fact that mm. he was in the, you know, he has this argument with Nick Frost's character before they break into the thing, and he's genuinely upset with this person. And then he, because he answered the call to make a drug deal in the middle of a po- apocalypse, yeah. you know, a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> and it's like. You know, it's it's an absurd thing, but again, those characters are are in that moment of what's happening, and that's what makes it so yeah. funny. You and know? we know that person; exactly. we all know that yeah, person yeah. that we yes. want to slap that exactly. we do that. You yeah. know, but then yeah. there's also like there's the subtleties, like for instance, you know, whose idea was it for him to go Pete? Because that's what makes it funny. I mean, we still do that to this day; we do that constantly. Pete, you know, another actor might have just said. Pete and it's not as funny you know but it's just the the stress on and just holding the e a little bit longer and that's what made it funny i mean it's funny you bring that up because our sign off for the show is always boy because we we love that movie and we've been doing that for four years at the end of everything boy and then we just stuck with it um but uh that that's a really good example one of our favorite uh horror comedies also is tucker and dale versus evil i don't know if you've seen that oh i've not seen that no it's brilliant (laughs) is that same kind of realm horror comedy is it yeah it's a a little it's a little broader maybe yeah it's but because it's a parody but you know yeah it's it's the writing was just it's just it's one of those things that it's just like god you know we I watch a movie like that and I'm excited because it's so great and then I'm also deflated because I'm like I will never write anything this good, you know. This, not with that this attitude. Was so good. I'll, I'm I'm not capable of writing something like this. But um, again, it's fifty fifty. It's a, I, I'm I'm sure the script was great, but you know, first of all, you have Alan Tudyk and Alan Tudyk. What can't he do, especially in comedy? And uh, Taylor Labine. Yeah. Uh, you know, just kind of like playing the bumbling they're both idiots but there's a varying degree to who's the bigger but, idiot but, than the other right. and, but in, you know, in, in the, but they're genuine yeah they're genuine and they have mm-hmm. a, a, a a relationship and that relationship is honest that they have with each yeah. other and so right. um you know right. that kind of lends well, itself to the broader moments that you know mm. um that you believe mm. that these people you know there are caricatures of mm. of um hicks or whatever but yeah. you know mm. but they play them earnestly you know yeah that's that's really powerful actually and i wonder how much of that was conceived in the writing of the script or Mm. the actual direction is it a writer director yeah i believe so okay yeah so i imagine they they, with with films like that as well they probably had an idea for who was going to play the characters yeah uh, to begin with i don't know if they have a relationship with the actors but that's quite typical for writer directors yeah Yeah. i i personally love writer directors i feel like there's Mm. just 
it's so cliche and it sounds corny, but there's just like an honesty in their writing mm. and in the delivery because you don't have that middle that middleman, so to speak, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's saying yeah. like, well, you know, the studio wants this and this mm. person wants this. And they, you know, I, I feel like studios tend to understand when you're hire, hiring a writer director, like we kind of got to let them do their thing. And you wouldn't hire a writer director if you wanted to have a thousand pieces of input every second because you're going to be clashing constantly. And sometimes True. I see something that I'm like, you know what? I didn't really love that story, but I love that they made it because that was mm. the story that they wanted yeah. to tell. There's mm. a disconnect. I, I feel like there's always a disconnect when, um, you know, you see, I don't know, because two minds don't think alike, right? It doesn't matter mm. how similar a person, two people are, they're going to have two different perceptions of the same scene. And, uh, you know, so I feel like when you, it's more cohesive when you have a writer director. Or um, married writer. Married well, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we pick yeah. and choose our battles, right? Where we go, like, I'm going to, I'm willing to die on this hill for this specific thing. And then he'll go, like, well, I want to die on the hill for this it's specific usually, thing. It's, usually a, like, it's right. usually a logistic thing because I like to try to stay as true to the script as possible because that's kind of the um, the whole point, right? What what drew me to a story is the script. And so... Because I'll mm. scream like a howler monkey? Uh, well, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I have no problem fighting a battle if I feel like th this is a stronger way to get that same end result, which whatever that is, you know? And so mm. um, we have those discussions and, you know, at the end of the day, we're all kind of, a, you know, uh, uh, subject to the story itself. So whatever's going to serve the story better, that's what happens and no better yeah. person to make that decision than the writer. But at the same time, the writer is one person and there may be something that other people think of that they never thought of is another way, you know, you know, mm -hmm. just what we're mm -hmm. talking about now, actors, right? Actors will read the script, get into the character and they may have an idea for something they say or a certain way they may say something, which aids in that thing that the writer may never have thought of and so um as a director you kind of have to you have to weigh that you know and it's yeah. it's it's very it can be very tricky but i but it leads me to my question of like how do you how do you as a writer you know the general you as a writer like deal with a director who's going to change it or an actor who's going to change it or a producer who's going to change it, you know, and, and, mm. and being kind of okay with that. You cry silently in yeah, the yeah. corner and you move because on. Because generally yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know how much input the writer has once the script is bought or it's in production or whatever. It's, you know, sometimes on bigger budgets, they'll be on set to, yeah, you know, make changes depends. on the fly. Generally or they're like, get out of here. Yeah, but Usually it's like, <laughs> thanks for the script. Here's your money. See out. you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And if the money's a lot, then maybe you can cry into those dollars. I will but... cry into my money and, <laughs> and probably never watch the movie. <laughs> but I think generally like most creative people don't, you know, we just will create something else. You know what I mean? We don't like, yeah. I know for me anyway, I don't get too hung up on something that I've created. It's done. It's out there. I usually hate it. And then I move on to the next thing and look forward to creating that. So, but I wonder how most people would balance that kind of thing of, of seeing their work changed, I guess. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're looking in the direction of making uh, a career as a, a, a screenwriter and not as a writer director, you very quickly have to, settle with the prospect that your work's going to change mm -hmm. um and it probably will be frustrating but hopefully the 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 prospect of getting paid in the first place is enough to kind of mm -hmm. quell that mm -hmm. that issue because there are so many writers or people who aspire to write that uh aren't getting paid for for their work um but i imagine 
it doesn't happen loads that, that the writers on on set and stuff, but it does depend on the screenwriter. Like on the far other end of the spectrum, like Aaron Sorkin is usually there on on set when they're performing his dialogue and stuff because it is so particular. But again, he's at the very top. He's yeah, at yeah. the upper echelon. Yeah. Yeah, he's like yeah, in in a completely you know on a completely different level. Um, so otherwise, I think it's just a case of like swallowing your pride a little bit and just and just acceptance really you get to think of it as um like a product this is Mm. this product is for this person it's like if i make somebody a cake i wouldn't put those flavors together but that's what they wanted mazel tov Mm. you know (laughs) go eat your cake i I, I did put work into it and everything but it's not necessarily whatever oh you put it that way all right i guess you know Mm. and that's why i said I, i probably wouldn't even watch it because i would just start mm. picking through things it's just like but i think it's more of getting to the point of as you said making sure you're getting paid for your work which mm. we were at a film fest recently talking to a writer who was saying like oh yeah somebody else asked me to write something again and you know they're not paying and i was like hold the phone why <laughs> stop doing that first of all yeah. do you think i should yes i think you should absolutely be getting cool. paid for your work people on set mm. are getting paid you should be getting paid because what are we all here for if you didn't write the story hello yeah. Yeah. So a, f- a friend of mine uh, who writes articles for uh, Vice um, wrote one where he was calling up plumbers and like uh, work like um, contract workers mm-hmm. and stuff and saying like, oh, do you mind coming around and like my toilet's blocked? Do you mind unblocking it? Um, I don't have any money this time, but the next time I'll have some for you and I'll, I'll recommend you to all my friends and you can imagine what a British plumber was saying to him on the other side of the phone <laughs> putting it down straight away but in the creative discipline like work is exploited quite a lot and it's kind of it's not okay um, to you know to get to a certain point and be doing doing that for free like yeah people should be getting paid for their work but in creative disciplines it's looked at a lot differently Mm -hmm. in a much different light to how other industries do yeah absolutely it's like actors i I tell all the actors if they stop working for free Mm. they're not going Mm. to pay us if you keep working for free that's not the way Mm. this works we we, we always pay everybody on set you know some people get paid Mm. more just based on marketing conditions which we have zero control over um, but we everybody gets paid. Um, some people, you know, because we're friends with them, they may refuse it. But every we we budget the the fact that everybody's going to get paid because it's mm-hmm. you know everyone's doing work. Everyone's doing work, and I'm mm-hmm. just like, as someone who is does DP, I'm sick and tired of seeing DPs getting thousands of dollars a day and actors getting nothing. You mm-hmm. know, and you know everybody's doing work to get to get this final thing and, and and then you're just putting a more of an importance on that dp than you are the actor you know where they both have very vital roles in telling that story um but it's not proportionate their pay isn't proportionate to their to the to to their um to their commitment and to to the outcome of the film Right, you know, um, same with, you know, most of our budget, when we budget for something, goes to sound, you know, because that's, you know, an they're expensive. expensive. <laughs> they're expensive. Yeah. yeah. Expensive. Um, Very but important. Could you imagine if, if actors were just like, all of a sudden, just I have would, a $500 I mean, there's more, rate, yeah. Yeah, there's more actors mm. than there are sound people, obviously. So there's there's the yeah. marketing, you know, that's, we are in a capital society, so capitalist society. Mm. So there is supply and demand that is at play there. But, you know, it's how powerful it would be if every actor said i'm not working for less than 200 a day or 500 a day whatever whatever the number is that would be a very powerful thing you know mm-hmm. other 
other aspects of production are able to do that. Again, we go back to supply and demand, obviously, but you know, it, I would I would love to see, you know, as someone who's footing the bill, I would not, but. <laughs> In, in, I'd like you to fairness. stand your ground on someone else's set is yeah. what I'm saying. But in, to, to be fair, you know, I'd, I'd much rather pay everybody and and have them be happy that they feel valued in some way, you know, and, mm. and what better way to show someone that they're valued than by paying them, you know. Obviously, everybody's going to have creative input on our set, you know. Um me as the director and her as the as the writer we have final say over whether or not it, it aids the story but you know we want to make sure so that also helps a lot but i don't know i just it's really it, it gets it gets heartbreaking when we see when we see that but that's yeah. that's the well, way the system set more up. guys like you in the industry yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah broke. There... broke. <laughs> <laughs> um so i i know we've taken up a bunch of your time but i wanted to ask um do you write your own scripts yes, just for funsies <laughs> or yeah, to yeah, have or to have produced well hopefully that's the that's the direction yeah mm -hmm. and i would like to go down the path of write a director um mm. and it's just a, i know it's a long road and what i the benefit that i have with the work that i do currently is that every script that i read brings value to my own writing mm -hmm. as well in terms of i've i've learned a lot off other people's mistakes and I found myself giving the same note over and over again so when it came to my writing even though the experience of actually writing scripts I have is probably you know comparatively a lot less in terms of my knowledge that I have towards scripts um, so that's helped me a lot and I find that um, it's good inspiration as well especially when you read a really good one where you you do laugh out loud or you find that you get tapped emotionally mm. and then to kind of look back and think how why did that work how did that work with a with an analytical perspective um and i read them for fun as well um like i, I reproduced screenplays and love watching a film and then going back to the screenplay right. and seeing what was different yeah what i was going to ask thought. like if you if you would rather read it first and then watch it or watch it and then read it wow. Well, I think that because I've had so much experience reading scripts first of uh, unproduced screenplays, just mm -hmm. spec scripts from the clients that I work for and stuff, I very much got into the perspective of seeing the characters as like black and white on the page and kind of just creations of a kind of abstract concept of who they are rather than being embodied in like physical people. Mm -hmm. So to watch a to watch a film first and then read the screenplay allows me to play out the screenplay as I've watched the film, mm -hmm. which I think has kind of massaged the or, or like strengthened the muscle of being able to see the scene play out visually much more than I did before. But that being said, a screenplay is doing its job if you can, if, if when you're reading it, you can play it out in your mind, yeah. which does have, happen sometimes, but I think it's difficult for writers to nail it's that. It's very, there's only, you know, there's so many adaptations and book adaptations now, and that's always my thing is like, this is going to be made into a movie or it's made into a movie. Do I watch the movie first before reading the book? Because once I read the book, I've imagined what this character is like, and then I can't quite watch the film the same way. So mm. I like to watch the movie first and then maybe go back and read the uh, book. Yeah, um yeah. But the I like to only... read it first because it you don't read you're read to well, first yeah. of all, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it's audible, you know. It's the best thing ever. I'm old school. I got to hold it, a book. But it's I always find it very interesting to see where my mind went versus what 
and and look the 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 movie of the book isn't you know the end isn't the end all be all right books and and anything written by nature leaves a lot to the imagination you know what the character looks mm-hmm. like what Much they sound is. like a lot of times um mm-hmm. um and so it's always interesting to see because it'll never be the same right no, no matter how good a book or screenplay is written the film is going to be different than what you imagined if you read it first, yes. you know. And I like, I love to see that difference, you know. And then also the difference in like, you know, I know in the book this character does X, Y, and Z. Is this going to be in the film? And that's and, what you ruins know? it. It's like when you watch the trailer mm. and they put in, the, they always put something in the trailer that never makes it into the final cut of the film, and you're that. waiting for that scene, and you're like, peeve. what? What? That was in the mm. trailer, and that never showed up. Mm. There was only one book that I read that the movie was so close to what I imagined it being, and it was Shutter Island. Okay, I've not read. I read that book in one sitting, because it was so Uh, good. I think I read that book in like five hours, and finished it, because I couldn't put it down. And then I watched the movie, and I was like, you know, I I love Martin Scorsese, I love Leonardo DiCaprio, and Mark Ruffalo, so I was just like, Mm. okay, is this... Now, I was trying to just like clear my... to get the book out of here and just watch it, and Mm. I was surprised by how close to the feel of that book it was. It's the only movie that I've watched, and I was like, yeah, that was... I I have to wonder how How much input he had, or if he was, you know, really spoke to the writer a bunch because and then there is also you know it's adapted into a screenplay so there is that but that that screenwriter got so close to what the book actually was it was able to pull Mm. out just the right pieces i mean the books are very long the movie would be five hours so you know pulling out the right pieces to like actually give it the feel was 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 pretty challenging it's challenging yeah Yeah. i would love to see what you would write and make as a as a writer director I say do it. Just do it. Just make something. <laughs> yeah. well, I do have one short film that's online called God is Dead. Which, oh, nice. Uh, people people can try and find, yeah. Try and um, find? Is uh, it like... I, was just <laughs> I, didn't see, I didn't see one do on your need, site. Do we need a passcode to this <laughs> yeah, or what? There's a, there's a treasure map somewhere that you uh, got yeah, to yeah. get to first. No, if you Google Nick for God is Dead, you'll find Oh, that. I'll have to it's, watch it's, this It's now. hosted on Vimeo. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Dark comedy. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being on and we hope to have you back on. And also we're going to have all of the links so that you can check out Nick's site and uh, do take advantage of of, uh, of his services. Because yeah. if I didn't have you in my life, he'd be a rich man. I could say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, Nick, I need some goddamn help. I need I, I need Nick as well. I have, a, you know, I'm I'm one of those. uh it is not intentional. I'm just an You'd annoying. Have a much nicer chair. I'm an annoying writer in that, like, <laughs> I hate things that are spelled out. I feel yeah, like right. so many. It's right. just very common, also in, in American cinema, to just be like, "Well, did we spell the entire twist out?" Because somebody didn't get mm. it in the back of the room. I don't yeah. like doing that, and I think unintentionally sometimes I'm too vague. You know, and so mm. our friends watch our stuff and I'm like, what did you think? They're like, loved it. And like, so what was it about? And they're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so they're, uh, they were aliens, right? What? <laughs> like, you hit them no. over the head with your screenwriting award. Absolutely not. What are you talking about? So one of them. So my friend was like, the whole thing was a joke, right? I was like, the whole thing was a joke. What did you want? <laughs> like, uh, you know, so, but I, I like to hear people's feedback, you know, because that's oh, how I be. learn as, as a writer is if I go, you know, 90% of people did not pick up on that. I was too mm. vague. 
maybe mm. I do need to spell a little bit more out because I'm I'm mm. I'm losing the whole point here, right? If if nobody gets it, but honestly, if a couple people get it, I'm like, no, a couple that's, people that's got a, it. <laughs> kind of an interesting. I know we said goodbye, but it's one last thing is that that's kind of an interesting kind of thing, right? Where you're you're you, ideally you want to write for yourself, right? You want to write because you want to tell the story, but you're automatically putting rules on it because you want people to understand. So you have mm -hmm. to almost write towards people's biases in the way that they consume mm -hmm. information, right? I mean, we're getting kind of meta about it, but you know, mm -hmm. it's it's interesting to think like, well, this is what I wanted to say and this is how I write or whatever. And it's like, well, this person, all out of a hundred people, only one person understood it. So is how do you that you know it's like how do you balance that of like being able to portray the information that you want without pandering without pandering but then also without kind of watering down your story or without changing your story too much where it's not what you initially thought of so it's not really your art i don't know it's kind mm. of like an interesting mm. kind of it's it's a very hard balance i think and I, the solution that i always try and give to writers that kind of come to me with this problem is to maintain subtlety but just keep keep layering it keep keep layering it through like imagine just like adding a thin layer of varnish and keep adding that on rather than thrusting it in the audience's face in one go and making it so explicit mm -hmm. but giving them enough chance to to understand that dynamic through a number of different ways based on it could be subtleties in the dialogue or the subtext or the character's action or the physical space in which they live or you know the, the a lot of things need to point towards the same thing and they can be subtle they should be subtle um but yeah it's about reinstating it without trying to just yeah. throw it all in one go because life is subtle yeah that's deep, it is and yeah, it's no. really yeah. deep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on nick we'll have links to 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 your site and uh we hope to talk to you again oh thank you very much for having me i really enjoyed the conversation and hope to be on again soon awesome too. awesome that was nick nick Four. I thought it was four A, but he said Nick. Four. You want to make it fancier? Yeah. All right. Nick we'll four A. We'll see what we'll see what he says about that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Th this was this was really cool because we never have just like writer like mm. any type of like writer. Again, nobody cares about us. Yeah. But I think <laughs> so. you know I think what he does is important because it's you know it's for somebody if you're a writer director I think having. You know, depending on what where you come from, if you're like a, a director who wants to write his own their own stuff, or like if you're a writer that you're now getting into directing, I think either way it's or it's helpful writing, because it's. I think it's good to have like a second set of eyes. Like yeah. if you need, and but from somebody who who isn't going to come at it with any bias, right? Well, that's what I'm either saying. Either intentional or unintentional. I'm saying like if you're yeah. if you're new, if you're new to writing and you need help with that, it's an awesome um uh service. Yeah. But then also even as an experienced writer, if you're more prolific in your writing but you just need an unbiased, you know, uh opinion set of eyes, yeah. It's great. His his rates are look, really your, reasonable. Your so, family I mean, and friends are going to love anything you do. Yeah. Strangers the, aren't going to care about you. They're going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Your family's going to lie to you because yeah. they don't want to hurt your feelings. Strangers are not reliable. Or they'll be reliable. like my family and be like, this is stupid. And You're then I'm stupid. Like, <laughs> and then I'm like, thanks. Do you have anything else? <laughs> like, yeah. Just stupid. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know what's going on next week. I don't know what we're going to have. The month of December is kind of tough because, you know, 
it's Holidays, December and, and everyone's yeah. busy. So um, we do have some things pushing into uh, next year. So you'll just have to deal with our annoying asses probably for most of the month. Um, but uh, such is life. It is. There are some good things dropping. Uh, not nearly as many as I expected. Usually Christmas is like... A lot of shows coming out have just big. come out, you know, so there's a, a lot of that stuff. So, um, yeah, but I just mean like, um, cinema wise, it's oh, usually yeah. there's usually like just a plethora of stuff that comes out that you're like, I want to see this, I want to see this, I want to see this. And this year, I'm like, hey, you know what? <sighs> We're in a post COVID world, right? The cinemas are, you know, what being played in the cinemas are, are is, is, it's all changed there's a bunch of indie stuff that's coming out that, that i'm excited for so um right. there is that so there there are still things but i just mean on the more you know uh, lucrative hollywood side of things there's usually yeah. a lot more and there yeah. wasn't it's just all big budget stuff that's in the theaters now it's which is what we ex expected to happen i'm still waiting for tarantino's last i think he's directing a show first before his last one hmm or so he says it's his last one. I don't yeah. know. Um, but I, I had heard in the rumor mill that he's he's hitting the pause button on that to do uh, a series, I believe, or oh, something, interesting. something along those lines. I mean, he likes to tell long stories anyway, so yeah. it seems like a good fit. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, like it seems like having... Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, make, being... he doesn't make 80 minute features. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that would be... It. A good we'll see. Fo uh, format for him. We also, shall, shall see. see. Um, so we're going to have the links to um, Nick's site and everything so that you can check out his work and you know also spread the word. If you know somebody who's struggling as a writer that just kind of needs some help, if you are a writer and you just want, you know, second set of eyes or if you need help, I'm the worst with adding things into scripts that aren't supposed to be there. And I, I almost got into this with him, uh, but I didn't want to see his head explode. But I was like, hey, I give... I give stage direction, so to speak, in the script to my yeah. actor that I haven't cast yet. Why? I don't know. Because also I never know. I don't always know what part I'm going to play. Sometimes I do, but sometimes it's like by the end of a script, I'm like, you know what? I actually think I'm going to take this part. And so I want to remember what I was thinking of, you know, for personality trait. Yeah. And so I put little notes in there. And I'm not, I'm not such an annoying you know, writer, director, if you will, that I'm like, you have to do this. But yeah. I like to just kind of There's give a pause the example. after the. It just give like. It lasts 1.3 seconds. <laughs> exactly 1.3 seconds. And if you do it any other way, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to oh, Russell you. I'm going to get an oh, Russell on you. <laughs> no, I just like to kind of throw those little notes in there. And it, and that's the problem. That would be, if I ever had to write a script to potentially sell or that wasn't for something that we were going to produce i would absolutely he would have a field day with me he's gonna be like i'm gonna have to raise my rates because yeah what the hell are you doing here because i write scripts that i am going to make yeah. and so i've developed incredibly right. bad habits of putting that direction yeah. into my scripts and uh be interested to it would be interesting to see what he would say about one of your scripts i don't want to know yeah <laughs> rubbish yeah so saying. much red red marker it would on just it. be red marker green marker who knows just all the whole thing would it would look like a christmas tree yeah he would he would just write this try again yeah i'm not even gonna do rubbish you know this one's on the house try again yeah um i don't know so um thank you for joining us thank you for joining us and uh 
we're going to give you our Shaun of the Dead. I love that he used that example because yeah, I don't think brilliant. anyone gets that when we when we sign off. It's just we've been doing that for so long. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that a lot of people get that. But yeah. to this day, when we have to say bye to somebody, we can't yeah. just say it normally. Yeah. It's impossible. Yep. And I can't hear the name Pete yeah. without saying Pete. Yeah. Oi, prick. It. Oi, prick. <laughs> so, a, lot of, a lot of good, good that's a great lines movie. from that. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back again next week, unfortunately, for you. I don't know what we're going to be talking about, but stick around and yep. you'll hear it and you can be part of it. We love you. Bye. 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 Bye.